This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm just going to give a big shout-out to everybody that I ran into last week. It was an awesome week, too. I got to hang out down at iFix Arcade for Beast, Chris, and Art's birthday. Got to just play video games and hang out all night. Uh, then, of course, seeing the Long Island Retro Gaming Expo uh, was absolutely a blast. I got to hang out on the Brooklyn Video Games booth, and I got to meet a ton of really awesome people. Uh, a bunch of the Patreon subscribers showed up. Thank you so much. It's always nice meeting everybody in person. A couple of old friends. Uh, and I got to meet Sean, RGT85, in person, as well as John Hancock. Both very awesome people. So uh, it was just, overall, a very awesome week. I really love doing stuff like that. And uh, I hope I get invited to more of those expos and trade shows, because uh, I really enjoy going to those. And, you know, once again, thank you very much to Steve from Brooklyn Video Games for inviting me down and having me on the booth. It was just, overall, an awesome time. But lots of cool stuff to talk about this week, so let's jump right into it. First up, there's been two more additions to the SA1 firmware for the SD to SNES. Um, now Red Guy is up to version 0.5 that enables a bunch of fixes and some in-game hooks as well. So anybody that has an SD to SNES and has been running the SA1 firmware, definitely upgrade to this one. I'm sure you've heard by now, the ROM sharing site MU Paradise announced that they're going to stop distributing ROMs because of pressure that Nintendo and other companies were putting on them, uh, threatening legal action. So I have mixed feelings about this. Um, I'm very clear that I, I'm happy to be a dirty pirate for all the right reasons. I like archiving everything that I find because I really am afraid that there's a good chance a lot of this stuff might eventually be lost. But running a website covered in ads where you're probably uh, very greatly profiting off of other people's intellectual property is not the solution for it. And I, you know, while I'm, I'm sad that one resource for ROMs is going down, I don't feel bad for them, uh, which is a harsh thing to say. But I mean, the fact is when you load up MU Paradise, the first thing you see is three or four ads immediately on the website. So there's no way they were going to get away with that forever. And that is kind of stealing. And as somebody that makes my own content, I would not be cool with other people stealing it. Uh, and it's happened, and I don't like it. Uh, but there's got to be some other solution for this. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get into the ROM debate. There's always, like, two or three trolls that destroy the comments down below when I get into this. Uh, the bottom line is, I I've been in the game for a long time, and I've never seen a collector stop collecting because they got a ROM cart or because they got an emulator or a Raspberry Pi. A lot of my friends exclusively use ROM carts for convenience, patches, you know, all the good, all the great reasons that you would use one, but they still frequent retro game stores all the time. They love adding to their collection, finding new stuff. Uh, I've had many of friends walk out of game stores with a new game going, hey man, I never heard of this before, this looked cool. They've had the ROM the whole time, but they didn't even know about it. They bought the game, they have the manual, it's kind of the same experience as back in the day. 
So I just, I don't, I truly don't believe that for, for consoles that are not current, I probably should have said that first. For consoles that are not current, I don't think ROMs really hurt anything. So I would like to find some way to around this. And maybe the solution is we do something like find some you know, hosted server somewhere and we just have basic packs uh, just set up as BitTorrents. And there's no advertising. Heck, there wouldn't even be a website. It would just be a server running some kind of BitTorrent software with dedicated basic packs. And then maybe we could even use something like that to run the new Smoke Monster GUI so that you could pull down from those and, and build your own. And by the way, I still have to make a video about that, but there's a bunch of GUIs now. There's a, a lot of factors involved. And as you can see behind me, there's a large pile of stuff I have to get through in the next few months. Um, but back on track, I mean, maybe that's the temporary solution for now. Having an iTunes-like store where you could just go buy ROMs whenever you'd like, um, that would be the best solution, but I just I don't think that's feasible in the short term. There's way too many things uh, and too much bureaucracy to deal with. So if anybody has any idea, ideas or any positive thoughts on this, even if you completely disagree with me, uh, you know, positive, constructive criticism, please post down below. And who knows, maybe we could figure something out. Uh, maybe we could just talk to people get these uh, ROM sets together, and maybe we could even do it for mo uh, modern consoles that's write-only. So you could submit ROMs for modern consoles, but nothing's available to download so that we don't have to worry about piracy affecting sales of new games and developers that are still out there. But, you know, 20 years from now, when the 3DS is long gone, maybe you turn that one on and say, all right, you know, nothing on the 3DS is even remotely up for sale anymore. Now let's, let's archive and share these. Who knows? But any thoughts, please post down below. Uh, and I hope that we could come up with some solution that doesn't end up being shut down because of a ton of ads. I recently uploaded a review of the Insurrection Industries SNES RGB SCART cable. And the short version is that, electrically speaking, it's fine. Safe to use on all of your SCART equipment. And the build quality seems good. Um, I heard that they were having some issues with the Genesis 1 cable that had the stereo pigtail. Uh, I think that might have been wired incorrectly on some that went out. But if you have that issue, just contact them. Uh, and it still works. It just would work in mono. So then, you know, essentially you would have yourself a master system cable or a mono Genesis cable. But um, I believe uh, if you just contact them, they could figure it out with you and they've been, they've been good on it. So... Uh, I'll have more of these cable reviews coming up because now that I kind of have a groove down for this, I have the right equipment, I have my uh, my scope sitting next to me, I think they're important uh, because I think it's, you know, people, most people just want to know what to buy, but I think many of the people watching this podcast want to know why that's the right thing to buy. So doing things, even if the reviews get much shorter and it's just a five-minute interview showing the scope captures and the build quality, I think it would be pretty cool. So I'm going to start working on more stuff like this in the future. And uh, if you're interested in this review, as well as the other uh, videos I did about testing components in a cable, comparing the different cable types, I still laugh when I see those thumbnails, by the way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, please check out the link and uh, everything is right there on that one page. Nintendo just announced that the limited edition of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate will come with both a GameCube controller and the GameCube to USB adapter that allows you to use it on the Switch. So pretty cool for any big Smash Bros. fans that want to use that what most people agree is the best controller for the game. Someone was finally able to do an RGB mod on one of the Nitro DS developer units. 
Those are the kits that are designed to output both Nintendo DS and Game Boy Advance games to a TV. At the moment, both of the units available, the emulator and the capture, have SNES-style multi-out ports on the back that output composite and S-video, but none output RGB natively. Some of the kits come with the N64 chips, the same ones that were on the later versions of the N64 to output video, and others come with GameCube chips on them. So this person took Tim's, uh, I believe it was Tim's, but Bordy's would work as well, N64 RGB kit and installed it inside and now is able to get RGB output. I think you would technically need two kits in order to get you know, for one on each chip because you get both the top screen and bottom screen outputting in 240p. I believe you could also have it set so that both output on the same screen in 480i, but we don't want that. Uh, so this is pretty neat. Um, I'm looking forward to doing more testing in these. I, almost two years ago now, I was going to do a review on it, but the more that I learned about these, the more questions that I had. So I figured I would wait and see, uh, until I got a good solid modded one, uh, and then do, of course, lag tests. You know, hold up the DS screen in front of uh, or next to a monitor in slow motion, thousand frames a second. That way, you could see if there's any lag between the two, and you know, all that fun stuff. So hopefully I'll be able to start testing again once, you know, once that pile of stuff back there clears out. Uh, but I'd like to see more mods for these things because they're, they're really a cool piece of history. But it's also, at the moment, the only easy way to output uh, Nintendo DS to a monitor. And I think there's a bunch of DS games, like uh, some of the Castlevanias, I think I would very much like to try, that I, I thought would be great playing it through an RGB monitor through one of these. But... Anyway, I just wanted to, uh, to pass on the news, and if anybody's working on any of these projects, please keep me updated. Uh, I know somebody that was working on one, but it's probably backlogged for a few more months. But uh, anybody interested, check out the page. And uh, Evan Amos, the professional video game photographer, even came by the office a while back and took some really high-quality pictures of the boards. He actually took pictures of the whole thing, but uh, specifically, the board picks are right here embedded in this page, so you could download that zip file and check out any of the schematics of it if you want, or not schematics, the, the board layouts, so if you want to look at how they're built, um, maybe you could have a little more insight into that. A prototype of the Genesis game Michael Jackson's Moonwalker was just released that includes the song Thriller. Apparently, this song was pulled right before the major release of the game due to licensing issues and all the crap that usually happens with lawyers and such. Um, and it's been fabled that this prototype has existed and was floating around, and now somebody found one and dumped the ROM to the internet. So um, this game is actually known for some of the really great Genesis music versions of Michael Jackson songs. Uh, and I don't want to play it because I certainly don't want to get uh, caught on uh, YouTube violations or anything, but... Uh, anybody that's looking for the game could download it now, and you could enjoy Thriller as well as all the other uh, songs from the game. Mobius Strip Tech just created a 3D printed bracket that allows you to fit a standard rocker switch inside the ColecoVision switch port, which is a pretty big deal for ColecoVision owners because those switches have been breaking and they're impossible to find. Uh, you know, and they're, they're pretty finicky. So just having a, a small little 3D print design where you could drop in a cheap rocker switch is absolutely awesome. 
You could buy these right now directly through him, uh, his Twitter or Facebook pages. Just message him there. And I believe he'll have the design up on Thingverse for free for anybody that wants to just make their own. And in fact, by the time this airs, this page will probably be updated with that. So just uh, by the time you click on the link, I'm sure it'll be somewhere right in here. Um, but I really love stuff like this, and I just want to say another thank you to all the people out there that make these 3D print designs and then just give them away. And I also really love the, the thought of selling and putting them on Thingverse. So people who own 3D printers can just make their own, but people like me that don't or don't have room for them can still have access to them and support the people that made these things all at the same time. Uh, so thanks to Mobius, thanks to Greg, uh, thanks to the, the person who did the G-SCART switch right angle brackets. I met him in Long Island last weekend. That was pretty cool. And the countless other people that do this stuff. Uh, it's just, it's really awesome that everybody in the community gets to benefit. And maybe you could make a few extra bucks while helping people at the same time. In my opinion, it's one of these everybody wins scenarios. So uh, check out the link below if you have a busted ColecoVision switch. And uh, now you can do a no-cut mod to it for you know a fraction of what it would cost to try to find and, and fix the original switch. Firebrand X just opened pre-orders on its Genesis 1 stereo line amp kit. And this kit is designed to tap into the line output of the headphone amp that's built into Model 1 Genesis consoles. Every revision except the very final VA7 motherboard revision. And this lets you get a much higher frequency of sound and a higher quality sound than just using the headphone output or tapping directly into that amp. Um, obviously, it depends on your setup. If you're just using speakers from your RGB monitor, you're not going to hear a difference. But if you're in a stereo, using a stereo or any other decent equipment, you will hear a difference. And it's a slightly easier installation than the Mega Amp because the, this just taps left and right line output from the headphone amp chip. Whereas the Mega Amp, I believe, taps from where the audio is generated originally on the board. Um, that might get an even better sound out of it. Uh, I'd really leave that up to FBX and Ace to talk about because uh, this is now you're starting to get a little bit out of my league here. But I think for people that might be a little intimidated by the Mega Amp installation, this might be an easier way to go about it. And also, um, the the installation method FBX chose of removing the RF shield or the RF box, and then using the existing holes with just some washers, I think is great because you essentially get a no cut mod. Uh, unlike some of the original mods I did on my website where I had to drill a hole, I like this way better. And just a quick point: if you're using one of those 32x pigtails or a Genesis One RGB cable that has the 3.5 millimeter pigtail on it. Instead of using RCAs, one option might be to just replace both of these with a 3.5mm jack while using the same method. Remove the RF port, plug it right there. I mean, either way, however you choose to mod, it's up to you. You could also just cut the end off of that cable and then put RCA connectors on it or use adapters or whatever. But as always, in my opinion, more choices the better. Uh, here's another way of checking this out, or another way of adding this output to your console, and the, the links are all down below for anybody interested. The emulation operating system Laka was just updated with support for the Raspberry Pi 3B+, and I forgot that that was even released. Uh, I'd read online that the B+, had some speed increases uh, and noticeable speed increases over the B, so I ordered one to check, and uh, I'm not sure when I'll be able to get to it, but... Uh, hopefully I'll be able to at least load this version of Laka and start testing soon. 
But this is pretty exciting because in the past year, emulation has made leaps and bounds and it's gotten even better than it was before. And stuff like Lockover, you could just load it onto a Raspberry Pi, slap on uh, one, of the, uh, one of the different RGB mods like the RetroTink one that I use, the Ultimate, and change some code and bam, now you have a, uh, a full arcade sort of like experience on an RGB monitor. I think it's pretty incredible. So um, I want to give this thing a try. I want to give the B Plus a try. And at some point, I really, really do want to build a little light meter in and start testing lag on uh, different things like, uh, I guess a good example would be the CPS2 kit versus uh, a very fast computer versus Laka on a Raspberry Pi and see if I could measure in milliseconds the difference between each. But just something to add to the list, I guess. Uh, and if anybody's running Laka, it seems like a, a good update. There's a ton of other features in there besides support for the new Raspberry Pi version. So definitely check out the link if you're interested, but there was just too many features to list in the page. So I just linked right back to the main page. The North American version of the Commodore 64 Mini is now available for pre-order. Uh, it's going to be released in October, and it should be about the same as the European version. And in fact, you could get the European version online for not too much more than this. So if you were impatient and wanted it right away, you could try just picking one of those up. And I'm not really sure what the differences between the North American and the European version are. But either way, I'm kind of interested in playing with one of these myself. I remember seeing the reviews online of it, and overall they said it was fine, but the joystick that came with it was kind of flimsy. But it had USB ports, so you could use your own joystick or and even use a, a USB keyboard on it. Because while the, the mini little thing looks cool, that's not a functional keyboard on there. Which I was disappointed in, because it's obviously not practical to type on, but I thought it would have been hilarious. But I could see how that would you know, make the price a lot higher, having to, to put a mini functioning keyboard in there. But if anybody's interested, check the link down below. Uh, I have the pre-order link right here, and as well as some eBay links if you want to buy one of the European versions right now and you're in North America. The company Bethesda is trying to sue people for reselling new copies of their game. So uh, when I first read this, I just assumed it was something taken out of context and you know people online were just blowing it up to, to make a story. But what happened was that somebody listed on an Amazon Marketplace one of their brand new unopened games. The story goes that they bought the PS4 version and then realized, you know what, I really should just get the, the PC version instead. Um, and I guess it was past the return period or something, so they just uh, put it up for sale. A perfectly plausible thing. And uh, I guess they got a cease and desist threat, uh, threatening lawsuits and said take all Bethesda stuff off of your page and a pretty threatening letter from their lawyers. And I, at first I just assumed it was something like, well, you know, maybe they thought it was a stolen game, maybe they thought it was a bootleg, I'm sure that'll work out. Until Bethesda themselves started responding and said that if uh, nobody that's not an authorized retailer is allowed to sell new copies of their game because it voids the, uh, there's no warranty with it, therefore it's not new. So all of those things are bullshit. If, it, if that game is brand new, it's sealed and unopened, that warranty should be the same everywhere. And there are many scenarios where I could imagine somebody selling a, a brand new copy of the game. That person's scenario, what if you got two of the same game for your birthday and you, you were embarrassed to tell people, you know, you didn't want to disappoint the two people that bought it for you, so you didn't ask for a gift receipt. There's, there's a million, there's a million reasons that this is shitty. 
Um, those are just two very plausible ones that could happen. And it's really annoying. And uh, I even tweeted at them, which was kind of an asshole tweet, but whatever. <laughs> like, hey, you know, I just got uh, an extra copy of the game. If I put it online, are you going to sue me? And, of course, they didn't respond. But uh, this is the type of stuff that we all need to watch out for and we all need to voice our opinion on. So although my tweet was, wasn't very polite, um, I think most of us should do stuff like that to let companies like this know that you, got, you can't be doing this. You can't be sending lawsuit letters to people because they're just selling a copy of a game they don't want anymore. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways this could have, I could have been telling the story from the other perspective on how maybe, you know, you, you can't buy and resell boxes of games. You know, you have to follow certain rules. But as long as that person was telling the truth, then that, that's just, that means we're all at risk for something like this. And in a time where physical media isn't doing that great, uh, it really sucks that companies like this are just doing things to make it even harder for people to sell their games. But the one thing Bethesda did say and make a point to say uh, is that they do not and will not block the sale of pre-owned games. Of course, they followed that with the issue in this case is the seller offered a pre-owned game as new on the Amazon marketplace. But it was new. So uh, anybody that has opinions on this, uh, post down below if you want, but it would might make more of a difference if you just tweeted right at Bethesda and let them know that, you know, that's not how you should treat the people that buy your games. Especially because I believe the person that bought this ended up buying the PC version. So it's, you know, it's definitely a terrible way to treat your customers. And we as consumers can't let companies get away with this because who knows what stupid rules they're going to come up with next. So uh, tweet at Bethesda, hit them up on Facebook. I'm sure they'll ignore all of us. But it, somebody's got to be out there watching, and maybe it'll make even the slightest bit of a difference. Here's something I didn't expect to be saying anytime soon. Another Metroid 2 remake just got an update. So this is exciting. If you don't know what this is, I'll just give the very short blurb. Um, somebody had spent 10 years remaking Metroid 2 Return of Samus by themselves. Um, they did the whole soundtrack by themselves. The, the game was just absolutely phenomenal and personally is my favorite way of playing Metroid 2 right now. I liked it so much better than Samus Returns for the 3DS. And then Nintendo uh, you know, set a cease and desist and had them shut the website down. But that was one of those things where I don't, I don't really blame Nintendo for that and I don't think they did anything wrong. They didn't sue the guy as far as we know. Uh, he certainly never said anything about being sued. I think they just kind of said, uh, you know, they knew that they had Samus Returns in the pipeline. They didn't want this to be blown up all over the internet everywhere, even though, of course, it already was. So they asked him to take it down, and he did. Uh, so then he said there would be no more updates to it. But I guess there have been updates being worked on behind the scenes, probably behind, uh, you know, or probably a team of people that were just working on this privately. And they added a bunch of cool stuff to it, uh, minor little tweaks and, and things that needed to be done. And I guess they also added Android support as well. So I'm very excited to play this again. Um, I have a few things I need to test on PC, so I'm going to use this to do the testing. And if anybody out there knows uh, any way of porting Android to Raspberry Pi or anything like that, I would love to see a version of this uh, come with, like, or be able to be added to things like RetroArch, Laka, or any of those very awesome platforms. That way you could just have this on a Raspberry Pi and play it wherever you'd like. Flat screen TV, RGB monitor, whatever. 
So uh, I don't know what that entails, though. So what I'm, I'm, what I'm asking for might be, you know, a few hours of work, or it might be a tremendous amount of work. I honestly don't know. So if you're versed in Android stuff and you know anything about this, um, maybe chime in down below and let everybody know. But either way, I'm really excited to play this game again. Uh, as much as I really loved the original Game Boy version, after playing this, I don't know if I could ever go back to that. The same way that after playing Zero Mission, I don't know that I could ever go back to the original Metroid. So uh, very exciting times for Metroid fans, and hopefully we could see this appear on a Raspberry Pi soon so people will have a much easier time enjoying it in 240p. There's a new on-rails shooter in development called Maiden that's scheduled to be released in 2019 on both Steam and the Virtual Boy, which cracks me up because I love that there's still a Virtual Boy community out there for such a, a small and, and niche little product. Um, but the goal is to make sure that the game runs on the Virtual Boy in 50 frames per second, and it seems like a pretty cool thing that I'd, uh, I would definitely enjoy playing. There's a lot of very good Virtual Boy homebrew out there, but I think there's room for more, and something like this, I think I would really, really have a lot of fun playing. So uh, anybody interested, the link's in the description, and hopefully I'll have more updates on this before the proposed 2019 release date. Some more Virtual Boy news. The game Virtual Lab has had sort of an English translation done. I guess there was always English and Japanese text on certain screens, so the developer Thunderstruck has removed the Japanese text, making it feel more like a full English translation of the game. So uh, I believe there was other updates planned originally for it, but he felt that this would be a good place to start and then go back to the other updates later on. So for anybody interested in Virtual Lab, check out the link, and if you have a flash cart, or uh, if you just like to play on emulators, maybe even the Oculus Rift Virtual Boy emulator, then you'll be able to try out the full English version of the game. And to complete the Virtual Boy updates, there's been an update to the 3DS Virtual Boy emulator from Guy Perfect. Uh, this project is still a work in progress, and the Patreon page is still up for anybody that wants to support development. But I know for me personally, I would love to be able to play some of those Virtual Boy games, hopefully, possibly, in full speed on the 3DS. So anybody interested in that project, uh, please check out the link down below. The developer Trifon has made some progress in his Shinobi arcade conversion. He's been porting the arcade version of Shinobi to Genesis for about three years now, uh, and he has some pretty cool performance and visual updates to it that make it look really great. I've always been a fan of Shinobi, although I suck at it. Uh, I remember distinctly playing it for the Game Gear when I was a kid, just relentlessly, and always, you know, never never beating it. But I love to see more arcade ports, and, uh, you know, there's so many different versions of games out there. Uh, I always like reading which version of the game is different, how is the arcade version different than the console port, what features do you have on each, which are completely different versions of the game from the other ones. So it's very cool to see this stuff, uh, to, to see people still working on stuff like this, and I can't wait to check it out when it's finished. The Game Gear game Magic Knight Ray Earth has just had an English translation completed that was 10 years in development. 
And I think stuff like this is really impressive, because anytime you have a game that's only available to one region or one language, whenever you're able to take that game and translate it, it just opens up the experience to so many more people. So uh, thank you so much to all the teams of people to do this. I always smile when I see on romhacking.net the different language translations of games that pop up there. And, uh, you know, I don't mean to be vomit-worthy cheesy here, but I do like seeing things like this that make the world a smaller place. So thanks very much to the teams that work on it, and I really enjoy seeing it. Well, after about a million years of waiting, DB Electronics has finally released the Sega Genesis Triple Bypass board. This is the RGB bypass and audio amp all in one board that would solve a ton of problems in Genesis 2 and 3s, and maybe even some of the other ones like CDX and Genesis 1. Now at the moment the boards are untested. They're up on GitHub as well as the bombs and I've ordered both the boards and a full set of components, many sets of components for it. And as soon as I get to testing I'll make sure to update this post, put up a video and let everybody know. So if you want to order the boards right now just please know that you'll be one of the beta testers. Um, but I really can't wait to test this thing because there are so many consoles out there that uh, Genesis consoles that have terrible audio output and even the Genesis 3 that doesn't output stereo at all that this will really benefit from and because it's all built into one board it'll be um, an easier installation than having a separate mega amp and an RGB bypass board. For some things like the Genesis 1 with a ton of space inside it might not be that big of a deal but for Genesis 3s, I, I think uh, this might be the only way to do both at the same time. And it's really going to increase the, both the audio and video output quality of all consoles that this is installed in. So I'll have guides up as soon as I can. Uh, I'll report back and make sure that there's no issues with the board or the bomb as soon as we get a few assembled. Uh, I'm going to ask for help with assembly because I don't think I could pull off all of those tiny little components next to each other without making at least one mistake. So I'll let everybody know how it goes, and uh, I'm very excited to finally try this because we might now be able to cure bad audio and video from a lot of Genesis consoles. So I'll keep everybody updated, and hopefully, maybe even by next week, I'd at least have a tweet or a screenshot or something to show people. All right, that's about it for this week. I believe the audio version of this podcast should be back up and running. A massive thanks to Justin for making that happen, and uh, we got all of the podcasts back up. So the, the handful that were missing from when it went down till now, everything should be caught back up on the audio side. Um, so if anybody has any problems with that, the website, or anything else, please let me know. Um, but other than that, I think we might be caught back up with that side of the stuff. Now it's just to catch up with all the updated pages on the website. Um, but, uh, you know, as always, thanks to everybody for watching and listening. Thanks to all of the amazing Patreons for supporting. And it was really great meeting everybody at the Long Island Retro Gaming Expo and at the birthday party last week as well. I really hope I get to do more of those and meet more people face-to-face. -face. So, as always, thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.